And I'm, I'm curious at Starfleet and the Academy, like, do you line your curriculum geared towards a certain role on the ship? Yes or? and no. Okay. Um, there are sort of like three main branches. There's command, sciences, and like medical. Um, that's where the three different colored shirts come from. Um, there we go. I didn't know that. And then Kirk gets all butthurt. He packs up his ball and goes home because he just doesn't, <laughs> he can't win. Hey guys, welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Popcorn. John here. This week, we boldly go where we've gone once before on this show and talk sci-fi. My friend Lindsay returns and we unbox J.J. Abrams' 2009 super fun flick, Star Trek. I truly love this one. It has a great ensemble. That old familiar score is just so inviting. And what can I say? The chemistry between Chris Pine's James T. Kirk and Zachary Quinto's Spock gives off an inspiring odd couple buddy cop vibe. This movie is why we eat popcorn at the cinema. And as far as reboots go, it sincerely sticks to landing. If you like what you hear and you dig the episode, go follow us at BSP Film Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. We're going to go ahead and get started. So send that cursed red shirt right back to the dry cleaners, flex your Vulcan pinching muscles, and set phasers to stun as we get beamed back up into Star Trek. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. They caught a shark, not the shark. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Wake up. We're tonight's entertainment. This is some serious gourmet. Showtime! I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. Hey, you? You gotta do something or just stand there and bleed. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Here's Johnny! Call me Johnny growing up, and um, so I'm John Jr. Okay. Um, and my dad never he just called me John. My mom has always called me John Matthew, like John as Matthew. moms do. And you know, people say when you break out the middle name, oh, you're in trouble. No, I mean she would still yell. She was saying John Matthew louder. But no, Johnny started in the MySpace days, so I I'm like. I don't know why I decided to do it. I was like 20, 21, and I decided to put Johnny instead of John on my thing. So when I would log, log in, it was like, hey, Johnny, and he would write me comments or it would hear something from me. It's like, Johnny said whatever, and so a lot of my friends said Johnny, or they would say Johnny O. Mm-hmm. So Johnny O was like my, my street name. Moniker. If you will, and, um, but yeah, like, even now, like so, people know, people don't call me Johnny ever, mm-hmm. and uh, if they do it, they do I it. Feel a little better now. <laughs> yeah, they'll feel bad. I mean, people sometimes say Johnny, like just goofing around, like "Hey, Johnny," you know. And I never re- call myself Johnny. I don't, you know, I don't introduce myself. Hello, folks. I'm Mr. Johnny Odette. Like I don't do that. Yeah. I should probably bleep out my last name. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> no one cares. Yeah. Um. Um. All not all nine of my listeners know who I am personally. Probably you got an extra one last night, so you should up that to ten. Boom, double digits. It's all coming together. Yeah. But yeah, so Johnny is just a fun thing. And then 
so on the on the opening sequence uh i really it all happened organically all right because if you listen to all the little sound bites i use mm-hmm. it's all like introducing something weird tonight's entertainment yeah you know, all no that, stuff. that all happened happenstance i was thinking like funny quotes and then, but it works really well. Like the first time I heard it, I was like, "Wow!" Not that I was shocked that you would put together something that good. Like that wasn't the wow. It was the, like how well it flowed, um, and it really worked. And speaking of your your newest subscriber, um, really good friend of mine. Like when I when I first pulled up the first episode for her, like that's what got her in. And she's, she and I are, are very similar individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk to movies, I talk to podcasts. And so like we 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 started the first episode and the intro played and it went, "Here's Johnny." And she was like, "All right, Johnny, let's see what you got." And it was just a very like it it, it felt sort of like what you were trying to do is like have a conversation that, with people. But that's the beauty of it. Like that was not planned. Yeah. Cuz The Shining just happens to be my favorite movie and mm-hmm. I love, you know, it's good, like, here's, like, it's, like, an intro. Yeah. You know, and, like, I happened to be named John, and it was just, it was just happy, serendipitous luck. Yeah. It was re- really just fun how it came together. And, uh. Well, I'm always interested in, like, how people get nicknames. Um, there isn't really, I mean, you can nickname Lindsay, and I do have, like, really good friends where, like, it's specific to that individual. Um, yeah, like only one person calls you by that name. Yeah, like sure. my my bestie Kev, like he's the only one who calls me Linz. Um, my okay. my college circle of friends, um, one of the girls in that group started calling me Lizzie for, I don't know. Um, and I kept it because my, na- my name's spelled a little weird and trying to get people to spell it right when I go to like Starbucks or something is just a pain in the ass. So I was like, fuck it, just Lizzie. I mean, it just kind of stuck. And even after I, like, outgrew that particular circle, like, I kept it because it felt me. And so it's I, – I've always been interested in, like, how people get those. I went through a phase where all my friends, all of my – all of John's friends, I would assign them a nickname that I would only call them by. Okay. Um, and and to, to the point where they knew I was talking to them. Mm-hmm. And also, it just ha- happened organically. I didn't really plan it that way. So a good buddy of mine, I was friends with his sister first. We were good friends in high school. He was like the younger brother. But uh, we had some classes together. This is a long time ago. And his name is Bradley. And everyone called him Brad. Mm-hmm. I called him Lee. Yeah. So it's up, Lee. And he just knew I was talking to him. And he was cool with it. Like, he didn't, like, he wasn't, thankfully, he wasn't, like, Dude, my fucking name is not Lee. Like, yeah, we, we we're already pretty cool in in chummy, but that's just the most uh, bizarre example of how I just give people like. I, and I used to play in a band, and we all had. You were in a band. Shut up. We all oh, had. Oh no. No, we all had stage names. So my buddy Sam was Sammy Sacktap. Josh was Jay Slut. I was Johnny Skank. So, and then later on, my buddy Josh got married. Thank you so much for that information. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Our buddy, our drummer, our drummer Jake was Skeletor. He was six seven. Jesus. And he was skinny as a rail and bald, 
white. We call I, him Skeletor. Yeah, I get it. And um, what was Chris's nickname? I forget. Chris, if you're out there, man, message me. I forget. But no, so when Josh got married, Jake actually passed away. He couldn't be there. Um, so but all the all the groomsmen for Josh's wedding, we all got embroidered converse, converses and had our names on them. That's side. pretty and, awesome. And they're in my closet right now. I'll show it to you later. It's fucking cool. Yeah. So what does this have to do with Star, War, uh, Star Trek, folks? I can't Absolutely tell you. Absolutely nothing. Just John is being kind enough to indulge my very ADD brain. Um, mm. So we should get started on Star Trek because I... That's my jam. I know you. So I feel like, and of course, my, my circles are very limited and very peculiar. But I think in my experience, my, I never had a circle of friends that were Trekkies. Really? My uncle, my uncle was your, your he was the Paramount mm-hmm. Trekkie fan going to the old, back to the old series. And then when I was growing up with him, because for a time, my mom and I lived with my aunt and uncle, and he always watched. Well, they, he, he and my aunt, his wife, they would always watch the Next Generation. Mm-hmm. So that's, but that's the limit of my Star Trek exposure. My dad actually tried to get me into Deep Space Nine when that came out, into Ooh, uh, and Voyager, mm-hmm. and I watched a few episodes, and they weren't bad. Yeah, they never really hooked me. I was like, okay, you know, it's, it was serviceable, passable. But we are here. I know. Okay. And folks, I, I, so I, folks, I prefaced Lindsay before this episode started because I know she is between the two of us for sure. But most people I've ever met couldn't compete probably with her level of trek, trekkiness. Well, and there's a reason for that. Because you're a fucking nerd. Well, so, so I. So am I. So I can't say I shit. did. What he was about to say is I did promise not to go too far into the weeds on this one. But. Like, part of my, my trek started with my dad. So, my my dad's your, like, your standard, like, American man's man. Um, I've only seen him cry, like, a handful of times in my life. And one of those was in 95 when Next Generation was canceled. I'm picturing so, Ron Swanson in my head. William Riker. Like, my dad looks a lot like Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Frakes. Which is super trippy when, when I'm great. watching Next Generation. Um, my, my best friend likes to joke that, that my, my brother and I look like miniature versions of my dad almost. And if you know what my birth mom looks like, it, you can literally see the two of them just mushed into people. And that's me and my brother. That's um, usually how it works with children um, and their parents. So you have a mini me. So my daughter is my twin, but funny enough. So if you look at my, my, my dad, John senior, and my mom, Alice, um, my mom is a redhead. My dad is your American, standard American brunette, dashing um, kind of man, and so I look like my dad with my all my mom's features. Features. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like someone. It's like someone had a coloring book of my dad, and he's already colored in, and they say, "Hey, make your own version," and he's made me a ginger. I mean, it works. I mean, so. so. Um. The, like, my earliest, some of my earliest childhood memories are, like, my dad working on the weekends, taking my brother and I into work with him, and watching, like, VHS Borg episodes. Like, all the TNG Borg episodes on VHS tape, and he'd just play it on loop to keep us occupied. Um, <laughs> um, you so were indoctrinated. I that's, was. That's what this I is. I was. 
the yeah. upside being is if you're going to indoctrinate a child with anything, like the 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 sense of vision and hope for the future that Gene Roddenberry put into his like the the concept Star Trek is based on. I think that that is probably one of the better things you could like make your your childhood based off of um like because Roddenberry he some of the stuff that we have now in our society are specifically because of Star Trek um every time you walk up to a grocery store and the doors open before you get there that's based off of original series like some dude saw that and went hey that's cool I'm gonna invent that yeah um and you know we have this sort of like divide between like star trek and star wars Mm -hmm. i i like both i also like both you are a massive star wars nerd um by comparison if we're gonna balance the scales oh yeah that's because i have more more background and more time um so because so in relation to to your upbringing my mother you know, my parents split up when I was young, and so my mom and I, it was my mom and I for a while, and she had the original trilogy on VHS. Mm-hmm. And it was, so when I was growing up, I watched, if they weren't Disney, if they weren't, I love The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, the classics, mm-hmm. right? Let's be real. Um, but before, like, all, actually, before any of those movies came out, I had five films I watched, if they weren't Disney, and that was Top Gun. Oh, Lord. The Batman with Michael Keaton mm-hmm. and the three Star Wars movies. and But see, it was funny. Like with Top Gun, my grandparents bought me like this big, for me it was big. I was mm-hmm. a little boy, uh, aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. So I would put on Top Gun, I would bring out the aircraft carrier and I would play with it when I was watching the movie. It was really cute, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, I didn't really have any Star Wars toys. I had all the Ghostbusters toys and all the Ninja Turtles. My mom spoiled me rotten yeah. until I had more siblings, but... And she still spoils me in her own way. Well, and I, like, I read the books in high school for Star Wars. So, like, my, it's, my Star Wars experience was a little, like, I was older when I got into Star Wars. Because my dad, my dad is a massive nerd. Like, when I was a kid and, you know, my dad was, like, he would collect those, like, pewter wizard figurines with the crystal balls on them. Like, nerd. Um... And so, like, I I remember watching Star Wars growing up, but, like, we, my childhood movies were, like, Money Python and the Search for the Holy Grail. And, uh, like, Hook, Free Willy, you know, and all the Disney movies and stuff like that. Um, But, like, my, like I said, some of my earliest memories are Trek. And, like, my dad is one, he's, like, Trek trivia books all over the house. Like, um, one of my... One of my favorite things, absolute favorite things about this movie is that they had enough archived audio to have Michelle Roddenberry still voice the computer. And that makes my Trekkie heart so happy. So for for listeners who, if you aren't super familiar with Star Trek, Michelle Roddenberry was Gene Roddenberry's wife. She sort of carried the torch after he passed. Um, Fans are divided over whether or not she contributed positively. Um, she's also, if you've watched, she plays uh, Lawaxana Troy, which is Counselor Troy's mother. Um, in DS9, her character, hysterical. Like, 
it's it's good stuff um so the when we first heard that a new star trek movie was going to be made like i was super excited because this is in no 09 i was in college um like my my most recent experiences with like new movies was like nemesis which was yeah that was mm-hmm. I, I saw nemesis in theaters actually um and there was what's the other one that uh came out insurrection insurrection i don't like insurrection so much I want to say, or, of, or, or, or I might have them switched. I think you have them switched because okay. some of the some of the Trek movies, and this is kind of a a sticky point for a lot of fans with like the continuing Trek saga, like as we push the franchise forward, is um, how they lean into the established Star Trek universe. Um, so coming into this like with this movie being announced like i was stoked because i'm that person like when i when when things are rough i rewatch stargate star trek i've seen deep space nine no less than like four or five times all the way through same with like voyager and next generation i um am a bit bit of a heathen i have not seen original series all the way through and I, I sometimes regret that just because I, I feel less qualified to have certain conversations. Um, I don't agree. I don't agree with that. I think you you have a good substantial legging. <laughs> I, I do. Um, well, because I told you I wasn't going to get in the weeds. Like when you have conversations about like original Klingons and stuff like that, like it gets like I've seen like the Tribble episodes, which if you're a sci-fi fan at all and you haven't seen the Star Trek Tribble episodes you are doing yourself a severe disservice because it's the best blend of like sci-fi and comedy and which which series was this on like all of them oh like every almost every one other than i think voyager or no at a minimum original series ds9 and See, now you're making me think. Um, have, because it's, in DS9, they have like a, a, a back in time episode that involves triples. So out of the weeds now, um, like there, there's a, such a depth to. You should start a Star Trek podcast. Uh, no. Um, Why not? I'm not saying you have to. I just, I think you, I think you do very well. Because this is definitely a, a lane a, a, a corner of nerddom that you are very comfortable and intelligent about. I mean, sure. This is very passionate true. about. Yeah. It, but it's, there are other people who have done the exact same thing and they've already done it better. So but they haven't done it like you could do it. Okay. I'll, I'll take it into consideration. So, um, I mean, cause this, this film podcast I do, I'm a dime a dozen. There's so many film podcasts out there, but I don't give a fuck. Because no one does blood, sweat, and popcorn. This is my fucking show. This is your baby. And yeah, um, but I, actually, I want to ask you two questions. Sure. Um, I'm gonna get us on track. Yes, please do. On Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I see what you did there. Um, but one's gonna go back in time to your dad. Okay. Oh, back in time, but did your dad see this 2009 film? I don't know if you were talking to him or. Uh, so if it's if it's not a... no it's okay so okay. at the time <laughs> sorry like we um 
Like I did discuss it with him a little bit. Okay. Um, I was curious what his feedback as a devotee of the old lore, how you felt about it. Um, like he liked it as a movie. Um, he and I have very like differing opinions on certain things when it comes to track. Um, okay. So like he, he liked it. But I mean, to I don't know if that we actually sat down and had an in-depth conversation about it, um, because like for all that it's something that connects us, I don't know that we we really had a whole lot of super trekky conversations. Well, because um, my uncle, who I brought up earlier, who used to watch, like he was my go-to nerd when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, to my dad and I, my dad and he rather, um, and so I knew he was a big trekkie. Yeah. He, was, he was my only Trekkie I, I knew, really. Yeah. And he kind of dragged my aunt along for the ride. And she was, she was always a good sport about it. She always loves and supports him. So, um, so I asked him, well, what? Well, I was just going to say, so, like, it, I have something sort of similar, but it's my best friend's mom okay. is a huge Trekkie. She and I have had conversations about this. And it's something very similar with her where, like, her husband, not a Trekkie, doesn't get it. But, like, when she wants to sit down and watch Picard, he's right there next to her to smile and mom nodding, like, yeah, baby, your show's on. Let's get it. Like, so well, That's I, a good partnership, though. Yeah. That's good. Well, I, I asked my uncle, who, amongst being a Trekkie, he's also got a great uh, great sense of films, great and, and, and TV series, very pop culture savvy. He's very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of my favorite people on the planet, actually. And um, I asked him, um, out of the movie, he had already come out, like, hey, are you going to watch this? And he's like, he was. He said no. And I was kind of curious, like, it wasn't because, it wasn't him saying no, because how could they make reboot? You know how some of the, the reboot, remake yeah. naysayers of the world are like, fuck that movie. And, yeah. Um, he's, he's well aware. That he can always go back to the original series and original the original set of films that came out in the eighties and seventies and stuff. Um, he was how do you say this? He was worried how he how it would alter his view of Star Trek. It's funny. It's actually um, what little conversation my dad and I had about it is kind of the same thing. He actually did go and see it, but like he was sort of like he he didn't have the same excitement for it that I did. Um, he was like, I don't I don't see why they have to. Like it's fine the way it is. Why would you mess with it? And I'm like, and you know, because. So I'm actually working on a on a, a next um, one of my audio essays. It's going to be about remakes and mm-hmm. reboots and sequels and such. Um, and so my big argument like, for remakes and reboots is, well, my first of all, my argument against them is it's lazy. I, sometimes I feel it's lazy. Or it's, or it's a cash grab, mm-hmm. or or it's it's oh we, we're we're going to tap nostalgia because we're running out of ideas. But that's the problem. Go find new ideas. There's plenty of young filmmakers out there who are creative and got things yeah. to say. But my argument for is like it's fun. They're fun to do. Mm-hmm. The originals will always be there, and um, it's so I'm and I'm a big big fan of song covers right mm-hmm. and basically what you're doing is you're covering a song yeah but in a film so it's and it's sort of the the same way i feel about it and especially with like star trek i was excited to see what they would do for it um because like i 
I'm dating myself a little bit here. I'm a fan fiction writer back when like Life Journal was still a thing. So I don't I don't have the same like Did you um get your notification from the Smithsonian to donate your body of work for science? Uh I will never donate my body of work for science. No one needs to read that for posterity. Um Okay, asshole question over. <laughs> <laughs> and well, it's it's not that I don't have like confidence in my ability as a writer. It's just um Mm, how do I phrase this? Hmm? We're 22 minutes in. Oh. <laughs> we should probably get on. Sorry. Um, it, it, it's me too. I'm, I'm all over yeah, the place. Um, anyway, so the you're playing in someone else's sandbox. And if you're going to do it well, then do it well. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to do it well, get the fuck out. That's how I feel yeah, about it. Yeah, and I think J.J. Abrams, mm. to get to the point, oh, there was some... There's some harumping over there. I have feelings about J.J. Abrams, okay. but it's okay. I mean, I mean, I think he's a kind of cute guy myself, but you know, not those kind of feelings. No, <laughs> I, I thought not. Um, so no, I know he he would be respectful of the source. Um, and he did, you know, for every negative review, there's always a positive. I I feel so how we handled Star Wars as well. I think he did Star Trek better. And how he handles Star Wars, um, so so I'll stick with Star Trek. Um, so I knew I saw the teaser trailer, mm-hmm. and it was just it was uh, I don't know if you remember the teaser for this movie. All it was was a couple quick shots of like the Enterprise under construction, and it, it never said Star Trek, it never said anything. It just basically said coming out in two thousand nine, and you see like the top it, it sweeps over the top of the mm-hmm. you see Enterprise yeah. right. And I got so pumped. I'm like, and I wasn't even a Trek, Trekkie guy. Yeah. And I was like, that's gonna be fucking amazing. Yeah. And then I saw the cast, and then the, they they released the cast list later on. And Chris Pine, I think I didn't really know him from anything. I knew Zachary Quinto because I was obsessed with Heroes. And he played the villain Siler on Heroes. I loved him. Um, that casting choice. Oof. When I first saw that, I was like, no. For Uh-oh. Zachary Quinto? Yeah, because I had seen him in Heroes, and I was like, how the hell are they going to turn that guy into Spock? They fu- he fucking crushed it. He did. Um, he was so good at Spock. He was. So, okay, hang on. So, Oh, we're going to stay on casting, because I, I have things no, to my, say about my, that, but too. But I, I had, um, I think I, I, I had a second question to ask you. Oh, okay. And I forgot what it is, what it was. You'll remember later. I will. Um. No, I remember it. I just looked at it. So we're, you and I were talking about our parents and okay. how we looked to yeah. get like our own parents. Like mm-hmm. that's how biology works typically. And so we see um, uh, Kirk Sr. I forget his first name. Mm-hmm. And it's the ruggedly handsome Chris Hemsworth. And I think they did a good job of, of – Mapping up, matching up an actor, Chris Pine, as someone who could embody the visage of his father, um, you know, and, and his mother. You see his mom for a couple scenes, too, mm-hmm. in the very beginning. And so we're staying on casting. Um, I, I, I had no idea who Chris Pine was before this film. I can't recall what he was in before. And I knew, I saw when Nona Ryder was cast, 
and like I didn't know what role she. I thought she was gonna be on the ship doing whatever. I had no idea. Everyone else was John Cho. I knew from um, Heroin Kumar, and and then Antov Cheklov, who played I forget his name. The Anton Cheklov. So Yelvink, or Chekhov's the name of the character. That's what it is. Okay, I'm I'm all over the place. Okay, I I knew him from a few movies, and I knew Simon Pegg from Shaun the Dead. Um, so and Hot Fuzz. Anton as Chekhov was a relatively like he was not a super well known actor at the time, and yeah. that was phenomenal casting. Oh my god, it was so good, and the fact that he's passed now is was devastating yes. to the fan base. Simon Pegg as Scott Montgomery is the most inspired casting decision I've seen in a very long time. He crushes that role. And Carl Urban as Bones. Bones. Damn it, man. Oh, my God. Like, and I've been, I'm I'm your standard fangirl. I've been with Carl Urban since, like, Hercules and Xena. Throwback. Right? I knew what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And, well, the same thing for Bruce Campbell. And so. Touche. Yeah. Touche. And so it was, it was interesting for me to see, like, I, Chris Pine has the swagger for Kirk. I wrote that in there. Yeah. I wrote swagger like twice, I think, in my notes. And I think that the the issues that I have with this movie are separate from what I found a lot of other Trek fans to have, excuse me, to have. Like my going into this, like when I when I first watched it, I went and saw it in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, I went with my ex. It was like a midnight release. I dragged him along because he's not was never a trek. Uh-huh. Um, and like I was so excited for this movie. You know, um, I was bouncing in my seat. I like, was, and I don't think I saw this movie in theaters. Maybe I did. And I saw Into Darkness, the sequel in the theaters, um, with my ex, <laughs> um, and my, one of my good friends, and with my friend Sam, actually, that I mentioned earlier. But uh, no, so I, I was kind of blessed by my disadvantage, by not being a previous, yeah, Trekkie. I walked in this movie, so, like, culturally, I knew who Spock was and mm-hmm. Kirk because they become parodies of themselves up until then. And the bully go where no one has gone before. I'm like, oh, okay. Like I had a, I had a, I had a familiarization. So I walked in and I, or whenever I saw this movie, walked into my couch, and I walked out like completely impressed and happy. Yeah. So as a Trek fan, just spoiler alert: walking out of that movie after the movie was over, I was so divided, so divided because it was a good movie and I enjoyed it. And the other half of me was just screaming. They retconned my childhood. <laughs> and I mean, okay. I, I, I understood it, but it was something where it was it was really weird to have com- like characters that were so familiar and have some of their actions and behaviors and choices and dialogue feel so familiar and then have other parts of it feel so divergent. And I think that for anyone who was, like, super into original series, like, that dichotomy was even greater. I will find something to throw at you. Okay. Um, 
and so like he like we realized how much we had in common and we just we hit it off and um like it it was i found it really interesting that 800 why is montgomery county so tiny like because i've run into people in jacksonville that i went to school with in montgomery college like i don't anyway so so it's funny enough so in jacksonville my the same uncle mm-hmm. we were getting there's a place because he lives in mandarin also and he lives do you know where Jillington creek road is yeah so where Jillington creek road almost gets to san jose right before you would turn and get on the bridge to go to fruit cove mm-hmm. there's a place called the blue crab and he's and my uncle he's from oxen hill oh that rings a bell so he's from pg county mm-hmm. and I, it's not a good one Sorry, really quickly interrupt. I just remembered one of my best friends has dated your cousin. Which cousin? So, Jen Tonin, Pat. Ransom? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he lives in Poolsville. Yeah, Jen grew up in Poolsville. Interesting. I told you, Montgomery County is tiny. But It's not even MoCo anymore, is it? At that point, maybe it is. What is? Poolsville? Is it still Montgomery County? It's it's MoCo. Okay. MoCo for show. And um, it was like the border of Virginia. Um, and, but no, um, so no, we, we so we go in there because we hear that they have, they do Maryland style blue, and we, we live in Florida, so we're like it's luxury, like, what right? What the hell is this doing in Jacksonville? We go in there and we order a dozen and we sit in the bar having a beer, waiting for them to get steamed up and ready to go. And the wife of the owner comes out and they went to high school together oh, in wow. Oxon Hill. And so, the, and so he, the husband, was from Delaware, so they're, they're all from this area, so they all know what Blue Delmarva Crabs. area, yeah. So that's a fun little through through thing, yeah. you know. That's so, Jen, I don't think I'm, Jen but, Tonin. I've shown you her tattoo. She's the musician chick that works for Bethesda Soft. She's the other ginger horn nerd I have. Interesting. My cousins date a lot of women, so I don't, I don't I, and I don't know who they are. So, I, so he's no. and he's the youngest of th- of three boys, and between the three of them, there's been a, a track record of women in and out growing up. I'm like, I don't, I can't keep up with that shit. No, I just I remember her mentioning it like ages and ages ago. Facebook doing the thing that Facebook does when it's like you might know this person. She's like, who the fuck is this guy, and why is he friends with you? I was like, we went to high school together, and she was like, oh well. I dated his cousin, so there you go. It's crazy. Right? I'll hit my cousin Pat up. Like, hey, man. What's up? <laughs> Hopefully he, he even remembers. I, I actually had lunch with him. Oh, now it's, it's been a while now. We went. We met up in Gaithersburg, and we went to um, the Ted's Montana Grill. That's there. So uh, anyway, <clears throat> I digress. We both digress. Okay, so the movie starts, and what I liked is the original score. If, if, if this, is the, this is an original score for this film, right? The music for this is gorgeous. And, like, I, I think my, like, if, if I watch this and I turn the track part of my brain off, it mm-hmm. goes so much better. Because, like, I, like, my first thought, on rewatching this because I like my my original thoughts from like oh nine like that's that's a while back, um like the music is gorgeous like you get the the original like communication sound from like that that like trilling noise 
that's from original series for okay. like there's there's so many throwbacks to like the original series in this movie and then you get the like the ominous sounding like lead up and mm-hmm. then this spiky thing shows up and i'm like what what is that supposed <laughs> you mean the to romulan be? ship I mean, that's what we find out it is, but I'm sitting oh. here and I'm going, what are all those edges for? <laughs> uh, well, so I'll keep us on track here. So we see Chris Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. He's the pilot, right, of of the... Um... Sort of. So when the, when the movie first starts, we have the USS Kelvin. Kelvin, that's the name of the ship. And you have the original captain gets... who is an actor that I can't remember the name of, but he sh- he shows up in, like, so much, like, sci-fi stuff, like the channel sci-fi. Like, he's a pretty ubiquitous actor. I, I recognized him immediately. Um, and so at that point, um, the Kirk's dad isn't anything other than um, first officer. Oh, he's the first officer. Okay, I thought it was the pilot. No, so the... But I, I, I couldn't realize the first officer is... Second so, in command, essentially. Yeah, that's, that's how the hierarchy works, is once the captain's off ship, the first the officer team. takes over and becomes acting captain. Yep, yep, yep. Whoever's on the con, that's a little different. Nerd nerd talk. <clears throat> that's also Navy talk on, on, on ships on, in the Navy. Touche. It's probably where it started. Yeah, on the bridge, mm-hmm. everything. Um, that's all That's all vessel speak. Yeah. Um, uh, James Terry Beers Kirk is on the way. Um, his dad, what's his dad's name? Henry? No. I believe it's Henry. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth's character? I believe it's Henry. And the Romulan ship comes out of the little black hole and starts blowing away well, at the Kelvin. We have to make sure to mention that something that becomes an important plot point later is it looks like a lightning storm in space. Mm hmm. It's this like. Circular maelstrom-looking thing with, like, if you've ever seen in-cloud lightning, that's what it looked like. And then, like, you see these, these looks like knife points coming mm-hmm. out of a hole in space. And everyone is understandably, like, freaking out. And I, be- I believe this starts out... Um, like, don't they get a distress distress call from somebody? I don't rem- remember okay. that opening. So the you get everyone on the ship is like appropriately aghast at this sudden event, and mm-hmm. you get an incoming communication from the other ship, and they're like, "All right, put it on the screen," and it's this very edgy looking dude with like no hair and facial tattoos eric banna all dark and gloomy is it really it's eric banna are you captain serious nero? it's eric banna oh no i knew captain nero i but that's not i don't think nero it's him because it, it traveled through time yeah no, no 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 but like his first officer talks to them first doesn't oh, he? oh i don't remember yeah and okay really quick side gripe from a purely trek perspective no romulan is going to have the name nero Get it together, man. Yeah. So, and and I understand what they were doing. I don't understand what you mean by that, but I'm gonna back you up all the way. So, um, in in the Trek universe, different races and cultures have naming conventions. Nero is a very human name. 
it is not a Romulan name. Okay. Um, I, I buy that. That sounds very nerdy and affirming. Okay. Um, and so, and I, I found it a little interesting that for the the leader of another race, they went with like a human name that's invocative of like Rome burning and Captain Ahab. Like, like it's sort of an amalgamation of like all of these these people chasing. We, also, you gotta. I I want you to again turn off your Trek brain for a second and realize that this is a movie made for everybody, not for the yeah. Trek and I know that's crowd. why I was like this. This goes a lot better if I turn my Trek my Trek brain off. But and it but it is like it is appropriately ominous looking. Like he's he's like we want your your captain to come over and, um, you know like discuss with us like your surrender and that sort of thing um and they do the ship handoff where he's like all right kirk you're in charge now if i'm not back in 15 minutes like Mm -hmm. um, right 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 and then she just goes to hell in a handbasket sorry well i like i like how when the ship the rhyming ship starts attacking the um starfleet ship and the hole rips open and people get sucked out and it's quiet in a vacuum space. That was a good little in thing. Yo, I liked. the science nerd in me Yo. was so happy. Like, no, I have very strong opinions about this, and they're good opinions. Like, you see so many sci-fi shows and movies make the mistake of sound in space. There is no sound in space. It's a vacuum. And the fact that they did did this, like, I was very appreciative of the attention to detail. Because it was very in line with, um, like, Trek has always been very like cognizant of of the science mm-hmm. yeah that's um very substantial point to make and so the olive pilot gets disengaged so chris hemsworth i'm gonna call him chris chris hemsworth okay henry boy he can't he has to fly the bitch right into the family he has no choice so his wife and james t kirk is they're there they escape there's a great shot when when after he crashes in and it's a big wide shot, you mm-hmm. see the, the the speckles the debris of no 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 of the escape pods. Oh okay. Leaving. I gotcha. Yeah. And it was just I like I love that shot. One <clears throat> this is pretty standard for movies, but like it always bothers me just a little bit when pregnant women go into labor and have a baby like an hour later. It, it it's very It's very common. Um mm. Well, okay. Well, so not like super. I mean, in like media, like. Well, it has to be relevant to the story. She's pregnant. Yeah. And we have to ramp up some tension mm-hmm. and ramp ramp up some stakes. So she's gonna have the kid well, now. And it's all and it feels like you get to hear your baby cry before you sacrifice yes. yourself for the greater good. Yes. And it's very it's a very like touching moment. It's a very like you get to feel the gravitas of that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And it and it plays a role in the rest of the movie, and so you know it's it was interesting for me to watch the sequence because they did a lot to like highlight certain things. Like as they're wheeling her down the hallway, you see the shot of a of a alien woman. I'm, I'm guessing she's a nurse or medical professional. The big eyes looks mostly human, but like her eyes flash really quickly, so you can see how big they are. Yep. And it was, like, I, I thought it was a, a really interesting way to, like, make a point of, like, see how we're handling, like, 
these these are all this is not a human crew this is an alien crew this is trek we're gonna do it trek and i appreciated that um and so you get you get um james t kirk's mom in a in a skate pod like giving birth you know it's this she's she's talking to pops who's driving the kelvin the kelvin down the maw of this very ominous looking romulan monstrosity um and i and i thought it was it felt very dramatic to me but like on few on future viewings like i came to appreciate it more because like trek and the federation has always been very idealistic very you know hope for the future and like this this scene really put a pin in like these are the sacrifices that had to be made he didn't bitch he didn't moan he didn't go well i've got a kid coming i don't want to do like no like he You're just captain. he did the thing but he'd been captain for all of like 10 minutes and he made the correct choice and he that accepted the role thrust upon him yeah and so that i thought that was a a good way to set the movie up once you get past the like it felt very dramatic and then we move on to both young kirk who's now a young boy about 12 or 13 or so steals his stepdad's car we had the uh, bc boys playing i love that scene okay i don't know if you did it's a nokia yeah there's some product placement for sure well and i just i thought it was pretty amusing to be like that's the one thing that survives into the the future is nokia this was 2009 so i mean but like nokia phones i guess it's almost like a joke yeah that's nothing destroys nokia like and i mean all, all we're really doing in this scene is we're establishing the rebellious attitude that kirk has and, Bring uh, this car home, or I'm gonna beat your beep. Beep, hangs up, hangs up, <laughs> like, like fuck you, bro. Yeah. You know? Um, and so he goes, he, you know, he, the RoboCop thing basically tries to track him down. He, he, a cool shot when he leaps out of the car as it's coming off the edge. I like how a twelve year old knows how to time that properly. Yeah, it's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I just again, I, I accepted it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I and of course it was kind of cheesy. It's, I'm James Tiberius Kirk. Very loudly. I mean, Very, like, yeah. And it's, again, it's it's a audience yeah. announcement. It's not you gotta say. So you know what's happening. I, I, I'm Jim Kirk. That's all you really had to say. But uh, we had you know because we established the whole Tiberius. Oh, that's a horrible name thing yeah. in the earlier scene. We'll name him Jim after your dad. Yep. And yeah, I like. I love Spock. I love the young Spock, how he's, I assume you prepared new insults for today when he's facing down his bullies. Your 35th attempt to elicit an emotional response from me. And you know what's, and stop me if I'm wrong, Vulcan bullies shouldn't be a thing. You would think? Um, I don't know all the history of the Vulcan species, but I know there's a code of discipline they do follow if they want to ostensibly shut off emotions so yes however vulcan culture um given because of the constraints that they place upon themselves does not for allow allow for a lot of flexibility which leads to 
prejudice and bigotry. Um, and oh, they're assholes. Yeah, and so like their their ostracism of the young Spock is not out of line for Vulcan culture. Because um, he's a half human. He's he's a mudblood. Yeah, and he's trash. Like what I appreciate about this scene is like it doesn't matter what race you are. Don't talk about someone's mama. No. Like you not get no. fucked up. Yeah. I presume you've prepared new insults for today? Affirmative. This is your 35th attempt to elicit an emotional response from me. You're neither human nor Vulcan and therefore have no place in this universe. Look, it's human eyes. They look sad, don't they? Perhaps an emotional response requires physical stimuli. He's a traitor, you know. Your father? For marrying her, that human whore. We see his mom. I know a writer. Yeah. Who? I'm not gonna say anyone could have played this role. Um, I was really happy to see her in this movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Because this is coming off her her whole shoplifting scandal and everything. This was, oh, really? Okay. And so this is like, she's kind of easing herself back into the public image of herself as an actress getting back to work. I think I have the timing of that right. And I think she did really well being that guiding balance, being a, that mother figure. Yeah. Because um, you you, you got to think, you have to assume that if you're a human woman... Or a man, or whatever, but in this case, it's a woman marrying a Vulcan man. There's some sort of it's like marrying like the officer. You have to, you have to. It's, it's like a appearance you have to keep up in a code you're expected to adhere to in a way. Sort of, yeah. So this, you know what I mean? The so I and this is one of the things that I think the film did really, really well is something that was established as part of the the Star Trek lore is that it's not that Vulcans don't feel emotion. It's just they feel them so strongly, they have to keep them in check. So for any, like, Vulcan-human, um, like, pairing, marriage, or... Right. Like, you you have to have an individual who understands that, regardless of, of what your partner's feeling, they don't have the luxury of expressing it, and you need to be able to live with that. And it's something that... I'm really glad because Winona Ryder did this with like she played this really well because there's a sort of like understated empathy and elegance and grace just box mom where she like she she understands his decision to not entertain the human side of him and right but they also leaned into that bit of of knowledge about how, like, from the get, Sarek was like, yeah, we have emotions, but you can't do anything about them. And they have that sort of, like, father-son bonding moment where baby Spock is like, so does that mean I have to just be Vulcan? And which segues directly into, like, grown-up Spock and Winona Ryder as his mom having almost as a counterpoint to that like entirely like Vulcan interaction with human overtones to a like human interaction with 
a Vulcan overtone where he she's she's doing the mom thing, but it's very understated. And he's like, don't use that word. Use a better word, which I thought was a very like it, this. I really loved this scene because it did such a great job of in a very short period of time setting up we, what we needed to understand Spock on a very basic level. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we cut to Spock being grown up and he goes before the, uh, the Vulcan the, high council, Vulcan high council. And he, and I love how he kind of just has always has the right thing to say at the right time, you know, about them saying no Vulcan. Is, well, they are telling him no Vulcan has ever, uh, uh, not accepted an appointment to the academy or whatever he's like well i'm half vulcan so your record's not tarnished yes so so as a trekkie watching this scene like this is this is an amazing scene because from a vulcan perspective spock is he's a sass master in this interaction absolute sass master he's riding that line between like Vulcan and fuck you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the 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 high council is, you know, they're they're being douches and they're like, well, if you got this human need to rebel. And I feel like his live long and prosper was like that southern like bless your heart thing. Yeah. Where it's good call. <laughs> yeah. Cuz and, and I felt that viscerally at that moment. I was like, yeah. Because they, yeah, they they wanted to bang his dick down because he's half human, like calling it a disadvantage. And of course, and you could you could see in that moment the way that they shot that scene was fantastic because Spock's father, Sarek, is <coughs> on the High Council, and you can see Sarek's face, and it's, I, fantastic acting is, throughout in this movie because like the micro expressions involved here, like you can see Sarek go, "Don't you fucking do it, dude." <laughs> Do you think that the High Council was purposely trying to push Scott's Spock's buttons here? Or they were just like just being Vulcans and just not giving a fuck? So from... You know what I mean? No, I know exactly what you mean. I'm trying to... Articulate? Yeah. From... from And there's going to be a lot of... From a historical perspective in Star Trek. Um, the High Council, they consider themselves to be the epitome of intelligence and logic. Um, It would never occur to them that they wouldn't be anyone's first choice. So they, they think that, I mean, Spock earned it, but they think they're doing him a favor, which is why he got the cut about like, despite your disability, despite your disadvantage, because it never occurred to them. He'd be like, all right, I'm just going to go Starfleet. And they're like, what? What, what? Get fucked, old men. Yeah, so yeah, it's, there, totally. there, there can be, like, petty undertones. Like, the, if you're, any scene with Vulcans in it is always going to have some sort of, like, there's no way to have a scene without emotion. That's just, that's not how movies and acting work. Um, but with, with this particular scene, like, yes, I understand what you're saying. Um, but no, I think that they, they honestly thought that, um, this was a, uh, fait accompli. Like it was just a, he'd do it. His dad's on the high council. It's what is expected of him. They were like, we see you applied to Starfleet. And Spock was like, well, I mean, yeah, I keep my options open. 
and I don't think like it was never it was never a question for them like that that logic was sound to them and the fact that he basically just did like a backwards finger up fuck you on his way out of the council like that was that felt very very true to like if you're doing a rewatch right at the time it it if you're not a trekkie like you follow it if you are a trekkie you're like what the hell just happened <laughs> like that's that's when sure. i first watched the movie but it it also made sense to me because it it fit the character we knew of spock as he'd been developed over decades okay like there are very there are very deep undertones to so many scenes here that we don't have the time for me to like no we don't no we don't <laughs> moving on um but very great insight on spock um and that plays dividends into what he does later on yeah. the film you have surpassed the expectations of your instructors your final record is flawless with one exception I see that you have applied to Starfleet as well. It was logical to cultivate multiple options. Logical, but unnecessary. You are hereby accepted to the Vulcan Science Academy. It is truly remarkable, Spock, that you have achieved so much, despite your disadvantage. All rise. If you would clarify, Minister, to what disadvantage are you referring? Your human mother. Council. Ministers, I must decline. No Vulcan has ever declined admission to this academy. Then as I am half-human, your record remains untarnished. Spock, you have made a commitment to honor the Vulcan way. Why did you come before this council today? Was it to satisfy your emotional need to rebel? The only emotion I wish to convey is gratitude. Thank you, ministers, for your consideration. Live long and prosper. We cut to um, Iowa. Iowa and... The shipyards, yeah. James T. Kirk is trying to mack on Aurora. Ohora. Ohora. I'd call her Aurora. I mean, you Aurora just is call like, her Zoe Saldana, like... Yeah, Aurora is the sleeping beauty. Yeah. Ohora, excuse me. Yeah. Um, and he's trying to lay, lay, lay the smack down on, on this His chick. farm boy charm. Yeah, he's... he's and he's all right. He's not doing too bad. He's got some swag to him. He's got some charisma. Yeah. He's got confidence out the wazoo. It's it's Kirk. It is one hundred percent like unadulterated Kirk in this scene. And I I have to say this is the one casting that I still I still waffle on. Um, like Uhura, Michelle Nichols as Uhura is such a iconic part of the sci fi anything Mm -hmm. and she did a great job with the character and i don't know whether my quibble is with that or just how underutilized she was as a character um but you do and this like this scene does very much fit with who we know uhura to be like originally like her her casting in the original star trek was an absolute like fuck you to all of hollywood at the time um African-American woman. Yeah. On a, on a well-rated, well-viewed 
television program yeah so they didn't they didn't yeah. do too much with her character to rock the boat a lot of her development comes later in in other parts of the franchise so it was good to see her get to be like who she was from the get like talented linguist talented communicator like kirk's little like oh so i like you've got a talented ton i'm like all right like that's low-hanging fruit dude um for a a, a xenolinguist for right. that to be like the the hit on comment um and so well he well the her i guess her recruit mates classmates kind of come to her honor fellow cadets yeah and um and kirk tells him to go fly a kite essentially Picking fights yeah and like he, you do talking shit yeah and which is great to watch what am i like the most kirk lines i heard in this movie was like four to one come back when it's an even fight and you've got more guys like yeah. <laughs> it's funny it's good it's yeah. good um but cat and pike is there and he watches as they beat the shit out of kirk it's it's great he gets he gets the absolute he, floor it, wiped with him he gets his lunch handed to him pretty pretty vigorously um and uh he's one of the girl's first name and she was playing hard to get and uh but more on that later pike shows up and captain i like captain pike's character he's like the dad that kirk needed to it's have. very faithful to like who pike is um because is, is Pike a character from the original series? Yes. So Pike is from um, the original series from the unaired pilot. So this is like a deep, deep Star Trek cut. Um, technically, we don't really see Pike until the second episode of original series, The Menagerie. But that's... Um, it's it was it's a really nice callback for Trek fans to have Pike involved in this movie to the extent that he is. And like the interaction that he has with Kirk... Like, do you, do, you, do you like being the only genius-level repeat offender in the Midwest? And right. I'm, I, I don't know if Kirk was ever really, like, genius-level, but I mean, I'll take it. Maybe. They might have amped him up for this. That's fine. Um, but it was a good, it was a good sort of, like, reality check for Kirk. Like, sure. we get it. You got daddy issues. How about you Rightfully do something? So. Yeah, but how about you do something worthwhile? So with it? Uh, that's my point. Is Pike comes in, talks him into getting recruited, talks him into joining. Which, being and having been involved in the military recruitment process in my career, there's no way this shit just like you don't have to show up one day like oh I'm and I'm in now. It's I mean, maybe in the future with Starfleet if they have more lax policies. But so that scene, I'm kind of like, huh. So okay. I can actually explain that. So when when Pike shows up, he talks about Kirk taking the aptitude tests. So for the Starfleet entrance, like typically speaking, around Picard's time, there are entrance exams. But the I believe that like how how they took him was he had already taken aptitude tests, probably just for like shits and giggles, mm -hmm. and never done anything with it. That's what I figured the point of, of talking about his aptitude test was. But I have also never done military recruiting, so I'm going to so, defer I mean, to the expert on this there's one. There's, like, medical health, yeah, mental health. There's a whole bunch of facets and factors. Anyway. Believe it when the bartender told me who you are. Yeah, my Captain Pike. Your father's son. 
Can I get another one? For my dissertation, I was assigned to USS Kelvin. Something I admired about your dad. He didn't believe in no-win scenarios. <laughs> sure learned his lesson. Well, it depends on how you define winning. You're here, aren't you? Thanks. You know, that instinct to leap without looking, that was his nature, too. And in my opinion, some Starfleet's lost. Why are you talking to me, man? Because I looked up your file while you were drooling on the floor. Your aptitude tests are off the charts, so what is it? You like being the only genius-level repeat offender in the Midwest? I doubt of it. Look, so your dad dies, you can settle for a less than ordinary life. Or do you feel like you were meant for something better? Something special? Enlist in Starfleet. Enlist? <laughs> You guys must be way down in your recruiting quota for the month. Well, if you're half the man your father was, Jim, Starfleet could use you. You can be an officer in four years. You can have your own ship in eight. You understand what the Federation is, don't you? It's important. It's a peacekeeping and humanitarian armada. You done? I'm done. Riverside Shipyard. Shuttle for new recruits leaves tomorrow, 0800. father was captain of the starship for 12 minutes. He saved 800 lives, including your mother's and yours. I dare you to do better. He shows up, he just gives away his bike, and we meet Bones. And my god, Bones is... Carl Urban, he's just so it's chewy. So I love him as Bones. He's so great. So, I'm gonna back us up like two seconds where like Kirk shows up and in true Kirk fashion is like four years I'm gonna do it in three yeah and you know you see him get like the side eye from all the cadets as he sits down or her is right there and then like Bones has apparently been in the bathroom thinking that's that's where he's gonna take this flight like I don't know there's a line in there where yes. he's like yeah um and he's like he's like He's a, he's a hypochondriac's hero. He is awful. <laughs> and he, he's a fucking doctor, which is the most biggest irony of it all. Yeah. But um. And this is the line that I referenced in the Jupiter Ascending episode, where he's like, space is just disease and death. Yes, yes. Uh, and Kirk is like, you know Starfleet's in space, right? Yes. I told you. I don't need a doctor, damn it, I am a doctor. You need to get back to your seat. I had one in the bathroom with no windows. I suffer from aviophobia. It means fear of dying. Sir, for your own safety, sit down, or else I'll make you sit down. Fine. Thank you. This is Captain Pike. We've been cleared for takeoff. I may throw up on you. I think these things are pretty safe. Pander to me, kid. One tiny crack in the hull and our blood boils in 13 seconds. Solar flare might crop up, cook us in our seats. And wait till you're sitting pretty with a case of Andorian shingles. See if you're still so relaxed when your eyeballs are bleeding. Space is disease and danger wrapped in darkness and silence. Well, I hate to break this to you, but Starfleet operates in space. Yeah, well, I've got nowhere else to go. The ex-wife took the whole damn planet in the divorce. Left is my bones. Jim Kirk. Coy. Leonard McCoy. Eight 
and then we do a time time jump where we we do a time jump where we from when they get recruited go to join Starfleet properly. I guess now they're they're a couple years in, and Bones is already a doctor. Is doctor doctor from the get, and then they had to take this test, the uh, uh, Kobayashi Maru. Kobayashi Maru, yes. Test and um, so there's this side thing about this test is well, yeah. So before that happens. He goes, he, he has a little sexy time with the green skin chick. Kayla, yeah. Who's an Orion, and they're notorious, like, for super high sex drive. The first time I watched this movie, I was like, you know the reset the timeline if Orion's slave girls are getting into Starfleet. Um, but. <laughs> I, I, well, I like, I like how how he he jumps out of the bed before he does that, like, because her, her roommate's coming, which we find out who it is, and, um. He's like, she doesn't like it when I bring guys back to the room. It's like, guys? Because well, right before that, before she, the, yeah. she's like, do you love me? I'm like, are you in love or are you a hoe? Like, well, what is it, Well, she was like, I love you. And he was like, he said something That's so like weird. super, yeah. yeah, like super dude after it. And I was just laughing my way through this entire scene. Um, and then like his, his aghast at her like multiple dudes thing. It's like, what did you, okay, all right. Um, yeah, most guys like we can be hoes, but you women can't. That's that's what that's what that, the whole thing is. Double standard. Yes, that's what that's what that. that yeah, that's what that was. Mm-hmm. Anyway, because you know Kirk would have jumped in the bed with both of them at the same time if they said well, they asked him. Kirk's character, and this is something that's made it into popular culture, regardless of whether or not you're a Trek, Trekkie. Kirk's a hoe. He's the consummate Lothario. And good word, good word usage <laughs> this episode. Um, like there's there's all kinds of of pop culture references to it. So like even by context, if you've never seen a single episode, you still know Kirk is like the latest man, the horn dog. Yeah, of all horn dogs. Uh, yes. Like if it's if it's got tits, he'll put his dick in it. Like that's pretty much the. It's man's Even if a man it right there. He might still try. I still have um, a, I still have his poster on my wall. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you were saying Uhura comes in. And... Yeah, and and basically she talks shit to him about taking the test again. Well, it's not even so. Bones is the one that talks shit to him about taking the test again. Uhura comes in talking about a transmission they received from the Klingons, and while she's talking to Gala, she's like, in a way that implies that this is not the first time they've had this conversation. Please tell the mouth breather to come out from under your bed. Yeah. and I was like, yeah. Um, and Kirk's like, oh, you could tell I was under there. And she's like, why is it you? And I was like, <laughs> it was just, it was a great scene for me for really, comedic value. I really like how, and spoiler alert, how Ahura and Kirk never hook up. I like how, I like how he's, she's the one that got away and she went to Spock instead. I don't even know if she's the one that got away. I think he's just well, so in this used movie. to. I'm, I'm talking about in the context, yeah, of in this the context film. of the movie, um, I think he's just so used to turning on the charm, and he doesn't know when to stop. I don't think it's even really about her. He's very charming, son of a bitch. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, sure. Um, but, uh, would 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 that would that that not Shatner would that Chris Pine Kirk would his swagger work on a Lindsay? I am very distrustful 
of anyone who's that smooth. It's not a yes or a no. I am very distrustful <laughs> of anyone that's that smooth. Um, I mean, it seems well rehearsed and well, well, well. He's he's pretty and he knows it. Well, and, he's well practiced. Yeah, sure. And so, like, and Uhura doesn't have time for him, which I appreciate. Well, he's a fuck boy. I mean, it's not. I mean, and which I respect. Hey, that's all you want to do, bro, is just go off and get laid. Hey, hey, have a blast. I'm, I'm, have a bunch of blasts, I'm going to digress here slightly and draw a line between, like, there's, it's, Kirk is charming and he knows he's charming and he's used to getting his way. Uhura just doesn't care. And he's. I love that. And he's not. She's so So he's great. compelled to be like, well, what do you mean it doesn't work? And it, I don't even know that it's, it's necessarily a fuckboy thing. It's just a, and I've run into this before with guys who are like, well, what do you mean you're not into me? What do you mean you're not, like completely blown over by how attractive this is i'm like you open your mouth for starters um and that's like, when you knew you fucked up yeah and i feel like uhura is sort of the same like when you're ready to act like a person then i'll have time for you and then kirk gets all butthurt he packs up his ball and goes home because he just doesn't <laughs> he can't win Right? But that's what he does. Yeah, but we get dropped a very crucial piece of plot information in this, in the middle of this comedy routine, and that is the Klingon sent out a stress, a distress signal. Yes, that's very true. And that's, that is the beats to come in the next, like, after the retest scene, we get the payoff yeah. of that. So Kobayashi Maru is actually something that Kirk is infamous for. This is supposed to be an unwinnable test there is no way to beat the kobayashi maru the the film deviates a little with how long the kobayashi maru has been in effect um but the 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 fundamental basis of the scene which is like kirk just chilling out like not worried everyone around him's going like where's your concern dude like and he's like no no i got this um like this is this is something that i'm really glad they didn't change Right. Because it's so it's so fundamental to who Kirk is as a person, as a captain. Um, there's no such thing as an unwinnable scenario. And rewatching this film recently for the podcast, like it made me realize, like stuff you consume as a kid has an impact on you, mm-hmm. like your your formative years or whatever. And like, this is something that I very much incorporated into my own, like, I don't, there, I don't, there's no quit in me. Like, I'm, I'm going to keep trucking. Like, there is always going to be a solution. You just, you have to find it. There are times where you have to take a step back and accept that, like, maybe you need to reexamine it. But the way that Kirk did this with the, um, like, he hacked the program. Right, yeah. Is just a different type of salute. It's out of the box thinking. And so, in a way, I feel like he, like, okay, so technically he cheated, but he out, thought out of the box. Yeah. And I like how he's smugly eating an apple like an right. asshole. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll do this. Zero uh, fucks given. Yeah. And everyone around him is like, huh? Yeah, they're they're flabbergasted on his decisions yeah. as the captain, and I'm I'm curious at Starfleet in the academy. Like, do you line your curriculum geared towards a certain role on the ship? Yes or... and no. Okay. Um, there are sort of like three main 
branches. There's command, sciences, and like medical. Um, mm. That's where the three different colored shirts come from. Um, there we go. I didn't know that. Yeah. The the Starfleet Academy that we see in this movie, I hesitate to comment on because I don't know how different it is from the established Starfleet Academy. Um, but generally speaking, if you go into Starfleet Academy with the express purpose of going into a command position, you have to take on Kobayashi Maru. Well, yeah, I mean, and we find out and later on when we're having the that little student review board, and Spock is explaining, after Kirk asked to face his accuser of cheating, Spock explains, like, this is, the, the purpose isn't to win. The purpose is to feel fear and feel, you know, these emotions that a captain will inevitably one day face and command. Therefore, like, basically telling Kirk, hey, you missed the whole point. Yeah, point of the exercise. Um and I get where Spock's coming from is the thing. Like, I, I get that sort of, you know, from a position of responsibility, having to understand that sometimes it's not about finding the solution. It's about doing what's best for your crew. Yeah. Um, and and to express, like, to tell Kirk, like, you missed the point, I think, is, is something that he needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Because Kirk tends to be very smug about his own quite his own ability, his own accomplishments, his own ability to like overcome adversity. And I think one of the great character dynamics we have in this franchise and the show in this in this specific movie even is that that push and pull with Kirk and Spock because Kirk is sort of like the epitome of human emotion. And Spock is that that cold, rational, like emergency break logic. Yes. And this is the way they chose to introduce these two to each other, I think, is a really great shortcut. Well, I mean, they kind of had to get the thing moving. I mean, yes, but like the the interplay between their characters, they are so close. Mm hmm as people but they couldn't start out that way because the basis of that friendship is spock is the breaks kirk is the don't be a vulcan about it (laughs) cadet kirk evidence has been submitted to this council suggesting that you violated the ethical code of conduct pursuant to regulation 17.43 of the starfleet code is there anything you care to say before we begin sir Yes, I believe I have the right to face my accuser directly. Step forward, please. This is Commander Spock. He is one of our most distinguished graduates. He's programmed the Kobayashi Maru exam for the last four years. Commander. Cadet Kirk, you somehow managed to install and activate a subroutine in the programming code, thereby changing the conditions of the test. Your point being? In academic vernacular, you cheated. Let me ask you something I think we all know the answer to. The test itself is a cheat, isn't it? I mean, you programmed it to be unwinnable. Your argument precludes the possibility of a no-win scenario. I don't believe in no-win scenarios. Then not only did you violate the rules, you also failed to understand the principal lesson. 
Please, enlighten me. You of all people should know, Cadet Kirk. A captain cannot cheat death. I of all people. Your father, Lieutenant George Kirk, assumed command of his vessel before being killed in action, did he not? I don't think you like the fact that I beat your test. Furthermore, you have failed to divine the purpose of the test. Enlighten me again. The purpose is to experience fear. Fear in the face of certain death. To accept that fear and maintain control of oneself and one's crew. This is a quality expected in every Starfleet captain. Excuse me, sir. We've received a distress call from Vulcan. With our primary fleet engaged in the Laurentian system, I hereby order all cadets to report to Hangar 1 immediately. Dismissed. Was that pointy-eared bastard? I don't know, but I like him. Are you out of your fucking mind? Um, that's that comes later. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. So, but they they get we get the payoff of the Klingon message, and everyone gets called to action because the rest of Starfleet's engaged, and Kirk or uh, Kirk I, is grounded. I have a quick question. Okay. Um, I know from a like theatrical standpoint, this makes sense. From a militaristic standpoint, if your like main body is engaged otherwise, do you pull all of the like green as grass kids in to do shit? Fuck no. Okay. This is a complete movieism. Yeah, it's I, I had that thought as I was watching it and but, I was uh, like mm. But you know, also like you know, these a lot of people they, they employ on on these command ships on on these Starfleet ships, yeah, they're green, but a lot of them are really well traveled already. To include Spock, um, Captain, Captain Pike, you know, so it's it's not like a complete, you know, everyone's fresh out, you know, their senior mm-hmm. year or anything like that. Definitely, is, it's a learning curve for many many of them. Um, gonna learn today. Gonna learn today. So Spock gets gr- grounded, but you know Bones sneaks him on. They, Kirk they, gets grounded. Kirk. He said Spock. That's his Spock. Excuse me. Kirk gets grounded, but Bones sneaks him on. Feigns some medical thing. So, I, I was when I was watching this this sequence. I really appreciated how well they took a beat to inject a little bit of like levity. There's so much humor in this little little scene. Right, keep like, shooting him with this stuff. Like it was bones, so funny. bones chasing Kirk down with a hypo spray, and Kirk being like, "Stop it!" Yeah, like, that was good. and just like the the massive hands and the like, I melt. Am I melting? Am I leaking? You know, and just the, I thought that it was a good way to, because you, you, you can have that, that sort of like embarkation, like liftoff sequence can get a little boring just from a logistic standpoint. So having that comedic beat and also just, I, it took me a long time to come to terms with the whole like Spock or Hura thing. I'm still not entirely sold on it, but this moment of, you know, when Ohura hears that she's been assigned to the Farragut, 
she goes straight for Spock. Yes. And he's like, I didn't I didn't want to show favoritism. And we get to infer that they're involved in some sort of relationship that would make that an issue. And she doesn't even play. She's like, I'm assigned to the Enterprise. And he was like, you, you are. are assigned to the Enterprise. Yes. Um, and I, I think the actors did a really great job with that scene just from like a standpoint of there was there wasn't a, there was no exposition whatsoever it was all body language facial expressions yeah i mean yeah she's very commanding and and spock kind of just rolls with it which is was kind of surprising to see um i think that ohura was he was overcompensating he deprived her of the role she deserved because he didn't want to be seen as biased and she rightly checked him for it it's yes. like, I, I understand your concern. Fuck your concern. Give me my job. Yes. Um, and then, you know, you 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 have you have bones going, pointy eared bastard. Um, which, you know, you you get you you watch them get like onto the ships and like how bones just sort of like strong arms him past like attending physician medical stuff yeah okay yeah and then they're they're on the ship Mm -hmm. and i think that it was it was a good segue because they could have gone a different way with it and it's a good chance for the the audience to sort of like take a breath enjoy the movie and like assimilate the information that they've been they've been given so far right it was a good digest period yeah good take a take a breath let it soak in (laughs) and then you know, we, we get the Vulcan because the Romulans are trying to, like, well, Nero's hatching this revenge plan, plan against the planet Vulcan. And um, we find out that Kirk's on board and Spock's, Spock's made the captain when Pike goes down, goes to the Romulan ship. Yeah, so Kurt, we, we get this sequence of, um, like, the Romulan ship contacts the Enterprise and... You see Nero like laser focus on the fact that this is the Enterprise, mm-hmm. and we have this 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 scene where like Kirk's coming out of his like comedy moment, and he hears Lu- uh, Chekhov, who has this like hysterical accent problem on the bridge. Yes. Um, we also and- meet Captain Sulu, we, or not, or not Captain, but. Hikaru Sulu yeah, we, not, we, we, not being able to make the ship move, punch it. Yeah. Like, I was so entertained to have a Star Wars reference in a Star Trek movie. It was good. Yeah. It was good. Um, and so, like, Spock hears lightning storm, or excuse me, Kirk hears lightning storm, and he's like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. And he's he, like, zooms himself up to the bridge to, like, confront them about the fact that this is a trap like this sounds familiar and we get to see this moment with kirk and spock where despite how much they dislike each other it doesn't matter because what's happening is more important than whatever their grievances with each other are Mm -hmm. um kirk is he presents his like case for like this is what happened when i was born it's exactly what's happening now and spock is like cadet's logic is sound um which I thought was an interesting like interplay between the two of them. Sure, totally. Jim, what's going on? Jim, come back. Kirk, Captain. Jim, Captain. Kirk, 
the pike, sir. We have to stop the ship. Kirk, how the hell did you get on board the Enterprise? Uh, Captain, this man's under the influence of a severe it's reaction to a vaccine. He's completely delusional. Vulcan is not experiencing a natural disaster. It's being attacked by Romulans. Romulans. Cadet Kirk, I think you've had enough attention for one day. McCoy, take him back to medical. We'll have words later. Aye, Captain. Look, sir, that same anomaly. Mr. Kirk, Mr. Kirk is not cleared to be aboard this Look, vessel. I get it. You're a great regulation. I'd love to do it again when you stay. I can remove the cadet. Try it. This cadet is trying to save the bridge. By recommending a full stop mid-warp during a rescue mission. It's not a rescue mission, listen to me, it's an attack. Based on what facts? That same anomaly, a lightning storm in space that we saw today, also occurred on the day of my birth, before a Romulan ship attacked the USS Kelvin. You know that, sir, I read your dissertation. That ship, which had formidable and advanced weaponry, was never seen or heard from again. Kelvin attack took place on the edge of Klingon space, and at 2300 hours last night, there was an attack. 47 Klingon warbirds destroyed by Romulans, sir, and it was reported that the Romulans were in one ship, one massive ship. And you know of this Klingon attack, how? Sir, I intercepted and translated the message myself. Kirk's report is accurate. We're warping into a trap, sir. The Romulans waiting for us. I promise you that. The cadet's logic is sound. And Lieutenant Uhura is unmatched in xenolinguistics, we would be wise to accept her conclusion. Scan Vulcan space, check for any transmissions in Romulan. Sir, I'm not sure I can distinguish the Romulan language from Vulcan. What about you? Do you speak Romulan, Cadet? Uhura. All three dialects, sir. Uhura. Relieve the Lieutenant. Yes, sir. Hannity, hail the USS Truman. All the other ships are out of warp, sir, and have arrived at Vulcan, but we, we seem to have lost all contact. Sir, I pick up no Romulan transmission. Or transmission of any kind in the area. It's because they're being attacked. Shields up. Red alert. Arrival at Vulcan in five seconds. Four. Three. Two. Four. Emergency invasive. Bring main import. And so they, so the Romans are dropping this drill down to bore into the planet to drop the the red matter, which we're we haven't really, we've sort of been. So I think we skipped over just for a hot second when. The Romulan ship waited for the the tiny, spinny, futuristic-looking ship to show up. Right. Um, and that that is an important plot point. Um, and so we see like the crew of the Enterprise being told like they know who Spock is somehow, and they want the captain to come over. So the captain mm-hmm. is like, if I'm not back in 15 minutes, and for some reason makes Kirk first officer. I'm a little fuzzy on that logic. I don't know why, but they make it so. Um, yeah. Um, and Spock is now acting captain. captain. Yep. Um, and so... They like, ask for hand-to-hand combat experience. <laughs> who has who fight fight training, yeah. And we have Sulu, who has fencing training. And we have... Um, what's the guy's name? The guy who gets killed. He, he, he had all the charges. The, re- the red shirt. Red, he got redshirted for sure, and um, yeah, the whole point is to go down and stop the drill from boring in. So we get this like that was a fun sequence. I like them dropping in, and then um, 
but it doesn't matter. So Romulans succeed in, in eviscerating Vulcan. Um, Chekhov is able to pull back Kirk and Sulu to the, to the Enterprise, but Spock and me is like, no, my mom, elders are down there. Yeah, so they, they're... The once the they the drill fails and they're falling like one of a tiny gripe I have with the movie is I refuse to believe a human is better at locking onto a falling human being than a computer would be. Um, but it does play into Chekhov's skill as a as a transporter. I think that's what they're trying to promote. Yeah. So you have sure. you have Spock, who knows that the the Vulcan High Council is going to be, um, it's it's basically a place where the the Katras for for Vulcans are kept, um, and he it's not they're not going to be able to beam out. So he goes to get them, and we see this like heart wrenching moment of them being tried to be transported back to the Enterprise. But um, I don't know if her name's Amanda in the in the movie. That's what traditionally Spock's mom's name is. Um, like she falls off the cliff face and she's gone. Yep. And so we, we see them come back to the ship, like Spock's managing to hold it together. And like Kirk is being Kirk. (laughs) Sure. Um, so they have this big, I wrote down Romulans and then leadership scuffle revenge scheme right after Spock loses his mother. And, and, Spock's like, hey, get this guy off the bridge, security, because 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 Kirk's like, no, fuck you, we gotta go, we gotta be, we have to be spontaneous, we we can't be predictable, we can't go back and regroup, we have to go take the fight to them. Well, it's it's a, they're what they're doing is they're putting a pin in a lot of like time travel paradox issues. That what they're basically doing is like tiny bit of like this is why we're doing the movie, we're, the way we're doing it. And so when Spock wants to follow Pike's orders and Kirk is like, no, like that's, we're going to run out of time. So Spock kicks his ass off the ship and he lands on Hoth. Like. Pretty much Hoth. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't write Hoth, but I wrote what I write. Um, We get ejected and then, no, it's, are you out of your Vulcan mind? That that was, that was just the right amount of cheese Mm -hmm. where I, I appreciated it. It, um from bones um but you know what so we, we so he meets spock, spock. Ambassador, the ambassador spock that nero has been looking for yes and so we have this sort of cliched use of the Viking, of the vulcan mind meld for amba- ambassador spock or spock prime as the subtitles called him um to spock prime all that um like give, gotta, pay, gotta pay extra for him yeah to give Kirk the sort of like download on what happened with Nero. The right perspective. Yeah. Which is at some point in 120 something years in the future, there's a supernova that ultimately engulfs Romulus, even though Spock was in the process of trying to stop the catastrophe. And so we have this like tiny super future looking ship and red matter, which apparently um, based on what happened to Vulcan and the, how it was supposed to stop the supernova is capable of causing um, singularities, which is a black hole. Um, So you see sort of this confusion from, from Kirk from, because there's familiarity from Spock where he's like, I am 
like we're old friends and Kirk's like what i fucking hate your guts yeah. bro yeah so it it was i like how they did the storytelling for this it, they, they they made it work i i yeah. I, I, I believed it um after well after spock fills in old spock fills in kirk we they had to get beamed back aboard the enterprise and um they find scotty and this guy yeah. is just like he's like got the he pulled the shit duty james t kirk excuse me how did you find me how do you know my name i have been and always shall be your friend so after we meet old spock we find scotty Scott, Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. Scotty has been, for the last six months apparently, he's been pulling the shit duty of whatever he's supposed to be doing on that little crummy outpost that's not Hoth, but it's basically Hoth. Complete with dangerous monsters and screaming. What a great place to kick it for a couple months. Right? Got the Demogorgon's cousin roaming around hot, outside. It's great. Hot vacation spot. It's a really good time of year. Go there if you want to avoid the coronavirus. And um, so, but basically, Scotty is the ticket. Yeah, to get back so to the Enterprise. Montgomery Scott is a brilliant engineer, and I think that Simon Pegg being cast in this role is a stroke of genius um, because he brings that that sense of Jesus fucking Christ to the role that Montgomery Scott is so well known for. Um, and so we we see them try and figure out like how they're just supposed to go about this and mm-hmm. spock is like trans warp transport and the other two are staring at him like he's lost his damn mind um so we sort of get this this um like benefit of the future type knowledge um so spock has access to like the trans warp equations because he knew his montgomery scott mm-hmm. this montgomery scott hasn't invented them yet so, like, he gives Scotty... It's also paradoxical. Don't get me started. Um, so, Scotty give Or, your, excuse me, Spock gives Scotty the equations, and Scotty stares at them, and, you know, he comments about, like, oh, I didn't think to think that space was the thing that would be moving. Um, and, you know, Spock gives Kirk the, the finger-wag talk of, like, don't let baby me know that big me is here. Um, and they managed to pull off this like this trans warp transport mm-hmm. but scotty ends up in a little tube of water that goes to like the shredder the, bl- <laughs> the blender yeah that was a pretty funny scene um but yes spock the young spock current present spock is alerted that there's a breach and they get pulled back to the board to the bridge spock's like, God damn it, man. I thought Didn't I kicked I your ass. did just get rid of you? You're fucking back again. But um, but Kirk follows old Spock's advice. It says, you know, if I'm emotionally compromised, I can't be the captain. Yeah. So he pushes Spock, young Spock. He Starts pu- pushing buttons. Oh, and he... And He's like, being an absolute dickhole. Like, on complete purpose. Yeah. But, um, so Spock loses his shit because 
don't talk about someone's mama. Yeah, that boy and his mom. They're, they're, they're tight. Yeah. And so basically Spock beats the shit out of Kirk. Kirk really gets his ass hand to him this entire movie. Yeah, and it was... I like the way that they did this scene because the thing that eventually brings Spock back to himself is Sarek in the background. Spock. Just being like super disappointed dad face. Oh, yeah. And it's tisk, very... Tisk, son. Yeah. It, it's sort of... It's a callback to historically the relationship between the two of them where Sarek was disappointed in Spock and Spock always felt like he would never measure up as a Vulcan. And it's been their dynamic so far. This movie has not been that, but for that moment, in that moment, like that, that was what was happening. Well, I mean, I don't want to fault Spock here for being like the human side of him took over, but like, because I, I resonate with, like, hey, man, don't talk about my mom. Yeah. Like, and Spock, you know, but I have to say that had he truly kept his logical hat on, he would have saw right through Kirk's bullshit. Yeah. Knew what he was trying to do. Yeah. And he probably would have called him out, like, I know you're trying to elicit a response from me, but, but or whatever fucking but, horse shit he says. And, but he doesn't. Yeah. And so Spock succumbs to his emotions Lays out Kirk, yeah, but then also comes back to his like he's he's a guy who just had sex, shot his load. It's like, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! I did something now. Oh, I I should I have done the that. Phrased is post nut clarity. It is post nut clarity. You were thinking so much clearer, um, and you know we saw seen something about Mary, right? And um. Well, and it's, it's exactly the advice that Spock Prime gave, which was, I'm already emotionally compromised. You just need to make me show it. And that's what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see, like, Spock sort of relieve himself of command. And the rest of the bridge crew is like, well, what the fuck do we do now? And Bones was like, or not even Bones, excuse me, it was Hikaru Sulu was like, well, Kirk made him first officer. So by default, he... He's captain. He goes from being booted off to a stowaway to the captain in like a 30 minutes yeah it's what a remarkable career move <laughs> can i get home under penalty of court martial i order you to explain to me how you were able to beam aboard this ship while moving at warp well please don't answer you will answer me i'd rather not take sides what is it with you spock hmm your planet was just destroyed, your mother murdered, and you're not even upset. If you are presuming that these experiences in any way impede my ability to command this ship, you are mistaken. And yet you were the one who said fear was necessary for command. I mean, did, did you see his ship? Do you see what he did? Yes, of course I did. So are you afraid or aren't you? I will not allow you to lecture me about the merits of emotion. No, why don't you stop me? Step away from me, Mr. What is it like not to feel anger or heartbreak? Or the need to stop at nothing to avenge the death of the woman who gave birth to you. Back away from You me. feel nothing! It must not even compute for you. You never loved her!
I am no longer fit for duty. I hereby relinquish my command based on the fact that I have been emotionally compromised. Please note the time and date in the ship's log. So, so they they devised a plan to get aboard the Romulan ship to because because now the Romulans are like, well, fuck Spock, fuck the Vulcans. You know what? We're gonna fuck up Earth next. Yeah, that was like Nero's thing was he wanted Spock to feel the pain that he felt. And I've already I've always had issues with Nero's motivation here. It's been the weakest point for me. Yes. Like this entire movie. If I had the, the biggest flaw is Nero. Nero just needed like a fucking he'd hit, so, he, he needed to hit a fucking doobie, have a beer, so get a blowjob. He would have been fine. He's but so like, two dimensional. I, I know I relate everything to like alcohol and sex, but like but like really, let's like the dude like, like so, how do you know the whole story about Spock as Spock just wasn't Spock's fault? Like, as an antagonist, we've seen this prior in the Star Trek universe where... No, so this is like a Star Trek-ism? Sort of. It's sort of like a trope, yeah. Okay. Where, like, something truly shitty happens and it's the Federation's fault and we're going to take it out on everybody because, God forbid, we see a therapist. And... So for for Nero, like how he chose to handle this, um, the like I I struggle with that motivation because he's he's taking it out not just on Spock but on the Federation, and that's the logical line we are given for like first Vulcan now Earth, and so Kirk takes it upon himself to solve this issue at its core. Um, and I, well, I was gonna say this that it, it's it's not that it's derivative or 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 lazy, but so Spock, the character of Spock, mm-hmm. both old and young, are kind of like the linchpin of the whole the whole story, because we have so we as the audience who live on Earth. We have to save Earth. Vulcan can go away. It gives Spock motivation. Um, it lets us know that the bad guy isn't fucking around. Um, stakes are involved. Spock's mom gets killed. And it all ties back to Spock. So this is actually something else that is like an homage so three of the original movies were sort of like a trilogy for like Spock. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, Into Darkness was sort of like a remake of Khan. Yes, so, that was a complete remake of Khan. Yeah, so this I saw this sort of like focus on Spock as sort of like a gift to the Trekkies. Side, side note, Benedict Cumberbatch. Is my spirit animal. <laughs> Patronus, spirit animal, is cultural appropriation. So was Patronus. I'm not an English. I'm American. <laughs> Different cultures. Checkmate. Anyway, back to what you were saying. 
we'll have that conversation later. Anyway, I'm sure. Um, the I can just see the the DMs now. You white motherfucker. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I'm just um, making a joke. The um, like the the focus here on Spock, I think, is because he's always been the character that he's he's Kirk's foil. And so I think that you mean that Kirk that Spock is Kirk's foil, as in like from a character's perspective. And how do you what, what do you say that? What do you mean? Like like Spock has to play to Kirk's antics. So or... they play off each other, and it was like that originally well, as well. But that's what's so great about the two of them because they're such polar opposites. Well, and let's and... be clear here, really quickly, and I do apologize for interrupting. Like I'm sure a great deal of this was just an excuse to put Leonard Nimoy in this movie. Oh sure, he still he he was still around at the time, yeah. and everyone he was a sweet old guy who doesn't like Leonard Nimoy. Whereas William Shatner has not aged so gracefully. Correct. <laughs> you are not wrong there. Um. I, so what? But the Hatch's plan to get it back since Romulan is now targeting Earth, they're going to go back on the Romulan ship. One get. Pike, first off, or uh, at the same time, simultaneously stop them from dropping the red matter yeah. into Earth to that will destroy the, the world. So Spock, they, they beam aboard and like, <laughs> Scott, well, well, Scott's like, oh, I'll just beam you into like a cargo hold. No one will be around. And he drop him right in the middle of fucking everything. Yeah. And was it was funny. it was cool for me to see like Spock sort of come to his senses and he's like I'm because Romulans and Vulcans do share a ancestor. Um so like suddenly he's on board with Kirk's plan. Um and then we 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 get this this sequence of them just having to like shoot him up for a few minutes. Yeah. Um and I I have a nitpick we have already seen the Vulcan mind meld twice in this movie. And it, like. It doesn't un- unconscious Romulan. Well, sure. But like in in the Star Trek universe and like Voyager and Enterprise basically just murdered this particular like. It was supposed to be something that was really rare and not done. Because when you do a Vulcan mind meld, you leave a piece of yourself in someone and you take a piece of them with you deep yeah so like one of the major plot points right now of... right now i'm not mind blown emoji <laughs> yeah so one of the like major character developments for for next generation was captain picard had a mind meld with Sarek, spock's father mm-hmm. and they it changed their personalities fundamentally moving forward like they 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 got something of each other in that exchange. So I I, I get a little harumphy when I when I see it used so casually. I understand why. Like it is a very nifty the shortcut, yeah. As opposed to like you know putting weird alien bugs down people's throats and waiting six hours. That was kind of gross. Mm, yeah. Um, and so we see like Kurt get into a tussle where he has this moment of like I've got your gun. And then almost derps himself off the edge of the walkway anyway. I'm so surprised he 
they kept picking him up and throwing him down. <laughs> yeah. Why not just throw his ass off the ledge? Right? That That's exactly my point. Jesus Christ, man. Um, and so, you know, like, we're... And prior to this, like, we'd had the red matter explained to us. So we also have that scene where, like, Spock knows something's up. Right. Like, he, he's putting the pieces together. And I, I have another slight quibble. Um, historically, Vulcans do not believe in time travel. So the fact that Spock is so blasé about putting these logical pieces together and coming up with, like, you must have met someone from the future. I'm like, bitch, please. But sure. Um, and he walks into... Bitch, please, even. <laughs> he walks into the ship and it's like, hello, Ambassador Spock. And he's like, you've got some splaining to do. Right. Yeah. Um, so, well, so where are we at? So, yeah, so um, Kirk basically is like the, the punching bag for all the Romulans while Spock gets away, shoots the drill, like cuts off the drill's purpose um, as it's drilling into San Francisco. And I like how, uh, so... And then Romulans decide to go ahead and chase Spock down in his little ship. And they go into warp drive, chasing down Spock. And then they they catch up with him. He comes around. He turns around. And he's, he's going to be on a collision course with the red matter. And that famous, fire everything, was in the uh, trailers and such. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, no, Spock's going to bite it. And then the Enterprise. Yeah. Size to follow up, you know, and that's a good bit. I, I like that. And it's like you can tell they had this whole plan mapped out. And um, Spock runs right into the Romulan ship right after he beams himself back to Enterprise. And at the same time, Kirk is able to rescue Pike. And the Romulans, and they, and they still do the right thing. They, they do the diplomatic they give them. They give them the chance to surrender. Kind of give them. Give them an out. Like, hey, man, we can still help out. And, it's the Federation way. And Nero was like, "Go fuck yourself." I and have Pike too much. Pike was like, "Sure," or excuse me, Kirk was like, "Sure." No problem. E. Yeah. You want help? Well, fucking bye. Yeah. And we get back to Earth. Enemy is vanquished. Kirk is getting commendation, and he's getting the is given the Enterprise. He say, he relieves. Captain Pike. I have such a problem with this scene. I have such a Why? problem with this it's scene. It's so great. It's so because it, it's so rappy, rap uppy. I mean, yes, from a from a story standpoint, sure. But from like that has to be the most rapid career ascent that has ever happened. Period. It would never happen in real life. No, he went from cadet to captain. Where is Ensign? Like Harry Kim is spinning in his grave. That's a Voyager reference. Um, like they were, they were lost in space for like seven years. He never made it past Ensign. Sounds great. Not for Harry Kim. Um, <laughs> Clearly. Um, so like it's, it is a very good ending to the movie, but like that. But that's what it needs to be. That bit of logic kind of like made me twitch at the end. Again, re- remember. Yeah. Who is this, who this is for? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, well, okay. 
And then so they kind of repurpose the Enterprise to go, bully go where no one's gone before. Spock comes back aboard. Um, I like how he humbly, like, requests to be the first officer. He, he throws his name in the ring. He wanted to provide character references. Like, Kirk doesn't know who the fuck he is already. <laughs> you know, But it's such a Vulcan thing to do. Yeah. And um, I just love that. And I, I think my favorite part at the end is that, that Spock on Spock. Like, heart, yes. heart talk. That's good. Um, and I like how they didn't do the Live Long and Prosper. Yeah. He, he, they even said that it would be self-serving. Yeah. And you have you have good. baby Spock torn a little between, like, what he wants to do and what he feels is his duty to his race. You had to go repopulate Vulcan, essentially. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, Spock Prime, you know, he has all of this, this information and knowledge that that baby Spock doesn't have. So it, it makes sense that he's the one to find some way to like insert himself into the refugees and help to rebuild Vulcan. And that leaves Spock to, to go off and do what, what he needs to do, what he needs to do. Yes. Which is like the talk that Kirk and Spock prime had earlier, where it's like, you have no idea what you mean to each other. And the universe needs that go make that happen. And I like that they found a way to make it feel organic. It didn't feel hand wavy. It didn't feel like yeah. It wasn't self fan service. No, service-y at it all. fit, and it, I it was appreciated that gracefully done so um. much. Father, I am not our father. There are so few Vulcans left, we cannot afford to ignore each other. Then why did you send Kirk aboard when you alone could have explained the truth? Because you needed each other. I could not deprive you of the revelation of all that you could accomplish together, of a friendship that will define you both in ways you cannot yet realize. How did you persuade him to keep your secret? He inferred that universe-ending paradoxes would ensue should he break his promise. You lied. Oh, I... I implied... A gamble? An act of faith. One I hope that you will repeat in the future as Starfleet. In the face of extinction, it is only logical I resign my Starfleet commission and help rebuild our race. And yet you can be in two places at once. I urge you to remain in Starfleet. I have already located a suitable planet on which to establish a Vulcan colony. Spock, in this case, do yourself a favor. Put aside logic. Do what feels right. Since my customary farewell would appear oddly self-serving, I shall simply say, good luck. That's one thing. Why I walked away from this film after seeing it, I was so enamored by how they were so deftly putting together these these storylines. Because again, for the casual moviegoer who has maybe a subtle inference of what Star Trek is or none at all, it was still enough to where they could enjoy the story, enjoy the journey, appreciate the characters. And if, if a younger generation, if this is their first exploration in, in exposure to Star Trek, and so be it, I think they, I, 
again, I don't have the, I'm not corrupted by my experiences yeah. of seeing the previous series and movies like a lot of Trekkies do, but I feel this was a good introduction to the characters. It was. And, and, to, and to the universe and, and like the, the mythology. Yeah. Um, I think my only, my only, like, if I had a, a, I complaints not the wrong not the right word but like Hikaru Sulu Chekhov Uhura they were bit characters in this and I feel just from my like Trek perspective that they could have had a bigger role like there there were times where they could have been utilized and I think that, but the the dynamic that they had in the movie as it stands is still phenomenal, and that's just like a, a personal preference. And I, I, and while I hear what you're saying, at least what I will say to compliment your complaint is, is not. It's at least those characters you referenced still had their shining moments in the film where they yeah. stood out, so they weren't definitely put in the background yeah. um, and just referenced to make a connection to the series. Um, I, I mean, think, I think the main, well, I think the main uh, uh, dynamic of the film is between Kirk and Spock. Yeah. And, and it has to a certain extent always been like that. Um, I guess I, I sometimes are, I'm not sure whether or not those characters were included as fan service, as opposed to because they contributed to the story. Um, and that, that's my, I feel like, well, I, I feel like every character from the series to this movie had a role to play. Um, and it wasn't so much, it wasn't so much fan service. It was loyalty to the original story. Like, cause Kirk and Spock were oh, the OGs, but so was Sulu. And, and Scotty and all, all the rest and and Bones and you know it's it's you're telling the same story with at a different time yeah so I in so many ways I guess a better way to phrase it would would be in in the in the general mythos of Star Trek um, Chekhov and Sulu to a lesser son Ohura um, they were not quite as tertiary as they were in the movie they were somewhere more on the level of bones depending on the episode in the movie and whatnot so it isn't it isn't a problem it isn't like oh this detracts from the movie and it make murmur mur. no it's if if i could change something if i if it would make the movie better i would absolutely have them contribute more um but it's certainly not something that i feel takes away from the movie if that makes sense I think they're in there enough yeah. to establish who they were, what they bring to the table as far as the team, the ship, the, the story. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I see your I see your point for sure. Um, so let's ask, uh, let's let's talk ratings. Um, where do you where do you where's this land with you? Solid A. I own this one. <laughs> Well, a is buy it. Yeah. So that's good. Um, I also will give it an A. I buy it. Um, I have some Blu-ray. I'm really proud of that fact. I really enjoy this film a whole lot. 
Um, it's very, very, very rewatchable. It's very fun. It's like it's like a good popcorn flick. Um, it's a good adventure story. It's like a pirate ship race in space. It's so much fun. Um, but yeah, it and it ties back well to the original, um, you know, the mythology of the series. And I think they, I think they did it justice. I think the people, it was made by people who cared about what they were putting together. Because they knew how important it was for the Trekkies like you out there that gave a shit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I think that was really good. Um, but yeah, do you have anything you want to add or comment on? And not that it wouldn't take a couple more hours. Oh, very well. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Lindsay, thanks again for coming on down to the show and giving us your uh, expertise on Star Trek. And um, Absolutely. It's a, it's a wheelhouse I don't have um, as deftly as you do. So thanks again, and thanks to everyone for stopping by and listening in, and uh, thanks. Good times. Thanks so much to Lindsay for stopping by and dropping all that Star Trek knowledge on us noobs. If you like what you heard, give us a rating and subscribe to Blood, Sweat, and Popcorn wherever you hear podcasts. And reminder, please go check us out on social media at BSP Film Podcast. Next week, my friend Erica returns and we once again enter the realm of unconventional horror. It's a great one, folks. Trust me. Thanks again for stopping by, and until next time, take care, guys. Mm-hmm.